hello everybody welcome to the travel mouth podcast uh i'm here with my friend jeff how you doing jeff i'm all right just a couple of jeffs talking food on a saturday i think it's a good thing uh so so let's start off man um I always like to start off with the, the the last question on the survey, which is kind of the hot take of uh, food pairing or food combinations. And you mentioned, now I, I am a fan of pineapple on pizza, and actually that's come up on the podcast already, but you mentioned Al Pastor pizza. Is that something you've actually had? Oh, yeah. I lived in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for about three years, and it's really common down there. Oh, wow. And it's really good. I mean, those flavors make absolute sense to me. I mean, that's the that's the spice and the... Yeah, sweet pineapple. I, I totally think little, that would work. Little cheese with the fat to balance it all out. Yeah. So you, yeah. that was actually something you were able to find like at several places down there. Oh yeah, there's there's like any pizza place pretty much does a uh, al pastor pizza down there. Wow. And is it like a series of taco pizzas? Like they're also going to have a maybe a carne asada pizza or like other Not other taco so much. options. Okay. Kinda just yeah, al pastor is the one that's kind of taken off down there, from what I I remember. Interesting. Man, I love a good Al Pastor taco. Are you able to uh, do a, a version of that at home? Do you ever oh, mess yeah. around with that? Okay. Yeah, because I've gone plant-based. Um, it's really, all you have to do is oyster mushrooms kind of for your protein on that work really well. Um, I made a birria using oyster mushrooms, mushrooms too. Um, and how do you do like, the consomme for that? Are you doing like a veg, veg stock that you spice? There's a product that's called, uh, it's like a, a fake beef consomme. It's actually Sprouts usually has it. It's really easy to find. Um, it gives you a lot of the, the meatiness, whatever you want. I'm, it's mostly mushroom stock based and stuff. Is it? Okay. Um, but it, That makes yeah. a lot of sense then to use the the mushroom as the protein and then the mushrooms as the stock. So that's, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's I mean, perfect. if you wanted to go hard, you can make your own mushroom stock and, and do it that way. And it'd be probably amazing. I really want to try this mushroom al pastor. <laughs> I see places doing mushroom tacos, but it's it's often just they took some uh, or some mushrooms, they sliced them up, they tossed them in, you know, maybe a little butter and salt, and then they put them in a taco. It's yeah, yeah, and usually with nopales, it works really well. Um, but using mushrooms as a, a meat replacement in a lot of those kind of things, especially if it's a, a something where it's simmered a long time, and the flavors that you get in the final product aren't necessarily from meat, it works great. So do you do the kind of thing where you simmer it and then pull it out of that and, and throw it on a hot griddle and kind of like crisp yep. it up before? Okay. Yep. Yeah. I can yep. imagine that would give it that meaty texture too. So you've got the exterior that's a, a little more tough. And then right. you've yeah, got you that crisp soft up interior. the outside, you got the soft yeah. interior, and then you get all the flavors from the al pastor, which I mean, aside from the beef consomme, everything else on it's I mean, plant-based easy. Man, I'm imagining a, a birria pizza, dipping a, a, a slice of pizza in consomme. <laughs> oh, there is birria pizza too. That's more in, that's in Guadalajara. There's a few of those. I, I didn't find any really in PV, but it is in Guadalajara for sure. So what, what got you down to Mexico? Were you doing that for work or just travel or? Um, I started a deep sea fly fishing outfitter down there. Wow. Um, bartended down there and then briefly owned a bar. Very cool. So. Yeah, it was work, but it was kind of like a, a early retirement kind of thing or blow a bunch of money in your 40s <laughs> so you don't nice. wait till you're 70 to do it. Just living. I like that. And and what yeah. made Mexico so attractive to you that you, you landed where you landed? Well, I mean, from San Diego. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I often feel more comfortable 
in Mexican culture than I do in a lot of the U.S. culture. Sure. <laughs> um, so, and then Pacific Ocean, you know, I've always preferred that ocean. Um, so it was kind of this whole thing. And I mean, everybody was thinking I'd go to Baja, but I wanted a jungle and, and you know, it was something completely different than what I was used to growing up. So PV became the choice. Uh, I met a, a fly fisherman down there who was a local um, who became like a surrogate father to me. Um, nice. Chewy Cruz, really nice guy. And uh, yeah, just kind of went down there and, and spent a couple, three years uh, basically making bad decisions and, you know, having fun. <laughs> and what, what kind of uh, fish are you pulling out of the water down there? Uh, we catch Dorado occasionally, um, uh, a, a lot that. of yellowtail. Lovely. Um, we get Jack Cavalier. Wow. Uh, Gorals down there. Um, if it wasn't really a whole lot of top feet, we just chased fish around the bay. Um, he is a little Boston whaler. Okay. And we would just chase birds around the bay hunting for fish. If it didn't look like there was a whole lot of activity, we'd go out. There's a big reef on the outside of the bay in PV. And we just throw sinking tip lines at it and catch rockfish, little nice. uh, red snapper and stuff. It was, it was, yeah, pretty productive fishing. It was really funny because you get all the charter boats going out and all they're doing is using live bait and trawling. And if oh, they're wow. not catching fish, it's the fish's fault. Yeah. And we'd be catching fish in the middle of it. And I'd be like, yeah, there's no you know, live bait going on here. There's little crabs floating around. So we would, we would adjust our, our, uh, flies in quotation marks to uh to match it so so were you out like all day was this a full day excursion to get out oh to the yeah reef or... okay yeah we would be usually what the nice thing in pv is that bay is so deep that the second you're out of the harbor you're in deep sea style fishing wow so you don't have to spend the whole day but if you want to which i always did <laughs> <laughs> nice. or clients clients usually would so yeah that sounds like a lot of fun and then you you had the bar at the same time so then you'd be able to entertain them in the evening back at your bar well originally i was just bartending at a place on the malacone okay. which is the seawall down there and i'd pick up clients all the time off of that um and then a friend of mine owned a bar ombligo del diablo in guadalajara and he moved down to puerto Varta and opened up and I went in with him on that. Nice. And Ombligo de Diablo uh, translates to the navel of the devil, the belly button. Yeah, I do. I do the Diablo part. I was like, I don't know that first word. I'm kind of <laughs> wondering. I like it. So it it's, was, a, it's uh, a devil's uh, belly button. Devil's belly button. It was a mezcal bar <laughs> mostly. Um, we had a house mezcal that was really good. We'd sell a beer and a shot for 50 pesos. So I love mezcal and I love the variety in mezcal. Oh, yeah. There's so much so going much. on in that spirit. And and it's the processes are so different in different places and they're all do, using different yep. kinds of agave. It's yep. just such an interesting product say, to me. All tequilas are mezcals, not all mezcals are tequila. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. And I, I guess I've just had better experiences with mezcal overall. I, it's <laughs> such a complex product. I think with tequila, you you have that early... Uh, young great... exposure to it yeah well, well well the funny thing is is that uh you also having been in san diego i spent a lot of my uh troubled youth i'll use the word in tijuana sure, sure. oh yeah me too and whenever somebody would talk about eating the worm now i realize that we weren't drinking tequila 
Nope. It was mezcal the whole time. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and probably out of a plastic jug with a handle on top. Oh, it was that Monte Alban, that red and yellow yeah. label that's just there you horrid. Go. There you go. <laughs> that's the stuff. And then they're like, you know, $20 all you can drink. What a deal. It's like, no, you could buy two of those for $20. Yeah. Oh, you buy 10 of them for $20 in 1985, exactly. 86. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what Club 33 was. What is Club 33? Club 33 is uh, the hidden restaurant bar in Disneyland. Oh. It, it was started okay, I've by, heard of this. I guess I didn't know the name. It was started by Walt as his uh, little secret club for his friends and um, family. And then it became a membership only thing. And for my son's 21st birthday, I was able to talk to a San Diego friend um, and, and get us in. And uh, so how does it, how does the membership work? Is that like a, the waiting process to even get oh, in the yeah, list? Well, my friend that got us in um, has been a member for a long time. So he, he cool. has a longstanding membership, but the fees are definitely not cheap. Um, but yeah, if I was, you know, he is a, a comic book artist, so it fits into his, like it's tax deductible for him and stuff. So sure, uh, it, it's a it's a good. What, what are the benefits of being a member? I mean, does that just get you access to then buy some get really good club, drinks well, and food, or yeah, but it gets you. They get in the um, park whenever they want for free. Okay, I'm sure he gets discounts if he stays on on the properties and stuff. Um, nice. It was pretty crazy how many staff in Disneyland knew him by name. Because you wow. figure those people see tens of thousands of people a day, but they'd always remember him. So that's cool. That's probably part of their job is to treat them like VIPs, yeah. get to know yeah. them, have that interaction. Yeah, that's I'm smart. pretty sure that. Yeah, they're. The Did you hang out at uh, at Disneyland much growing up? No, I was a punk rocker. We weren't allowed in. Well, that's the thing. You know what? I, I talked to a friend about that and he explained that to me. He said they would all get uh, passes. But then as they punk rocked out, like in high school. And started dressing different or whatever, they started denying them passes. Yep. He actually explained that whole thing to me. And yep. that for a while there was sort of like, and the reason they did it, I guess there was like some issues, fights, whatever. But uh, uh there was like they punk did it rock section. It was a family place. <laughs> yeah, but the, the kids would go there and not even ride rides, they just go there yeah. and hang out like it was a mall. Well, I mean parts of it are. Yeah, totally. No, it is. It's it's just it was interesting to me to have that insight. I never saw it that way. Uh, you know, I visited a few times as a kid, but yeah, I went really young. Just... And then in junior high, high school, and whatever, yeah. when, they wouldn't let you in with ripped leave or ripped jeans on. Yep, that's and... what was explained to me. They got real strict on that kind of stuff to kind of keep the punks out. Yeah, and the fact that like I can walk in there fully tattooed up and there's no problem kind of trips me out. But whatever, things have, it's a different world now, and on. I feel like we're it's, it's a better place. Yeah, I feel like we're headed in the right direction on stuff like that. I think individuality should be encouraged. Yeah, to a point. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I think I think our rugged individualism might be one of our problems in this country. Yeah, you know, I can't disagree with that. <laughs> so did you eat Mexican food in Oslo? Yes. Yeah, I went with that's, my son. That's brave of you. Well, I mean, I had to. I had to try it. It was horrible. Okay. Okay. Um, I took my son. Uh, after he graduated high school, we went to Oslo um, because I had friends there from from bands that I used to play op like open shows for and stuff. Awesome. And then um, we Good went music to scene there. Hamburg, 
uh, because Turbo Negro was playing and I'm part of the Turbo Jugend and that whole crowd was there. But yeah, also Excellent. I was like, well, shit, got to try some also, also Norwegian Mexican food. And I mean, I never expected it to be good, but it was definitely worse than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and was it just a, a weird interpretation of the concept or did they just fail on process? Like, where do you feel, feel like it really fell short? And Norwegians don't really like spice all that much from what I can gather. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it was just it was extra bland. mild everything. Extra bland. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, um, when I lived in Puerto Vallarta, I dated a girl in Vancouver, BC, and I'd go up there every once in a while. And like one day I wanted to make tamales and it took me a whole day to just find masa. And wow. I was like, oh yeah, wait, I'm just used to living where this is all available. And it's not in most of the European, at least, world. I'm sure you can't find masa in Asia either, though. <laughs> no, and, and when I talk to, to people, chefs and, and even just home cooks over there, they just end up ordering everything off the internet these days because they, they can, but man, the prices you end up paying, yeah. you know, to get it shipped to you and everything, you're paying $20 for a pack of tortillas. Ugh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know if and... I have to just try to figure out how to make my own masa at that point. Well, exactly. There's a there's a place in uh, Vancouver, Washington, that I guess they've partnered with a, an importer to get specific varieties of corn to kind of make like specialty. And I, I see this more and more. People are doing like kind of heirloom varietal one off, um, even using different fats like duck fat and things like that to make really interesting nice. tortillas. Yeah. Yeah. We and, popped and down into, into Seattle um, a couple of times and I just grabbed it down there, too. It was easier to find there for some reason. There's a lot of good markets, yeah. And there's a, yeah, there's definitely probably a larger Hispanic community in Seattle than there's in Vancouver, BC. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the further you get away from Mexico, the the, the yeah. fewer you get. That was what was disappointing for me about being in Vegas. I, I had the hardest time for a while. Eventually, we we were able to, to kind of go on the other side of town. But I guess I was in sort of the wrong side of town for good Mexican food. But uh, eventually, we've been there for years. Yeah, I think it's gotten better. It's gotten better recently. On my last visit, I, I ate a lot of good Mexican food, but nice. I'm always looking for that. And I think as a San Diego resident, you have this higher standard for Mexican oh, food. You know, I'm sure you know. Snobbish. We're famous. Yeah, snobbish. exactly. And it's so what funny when somebody's like, this restaurant's really good. I, my first question is, now, where have you lived? <laughs> oh, man, his name's escaping me. He's got that show on HBO. The British comedian uh, used to be on The Daily Show. He he. Uh, Famously referred oh, to San Diego oh. Mexican food snobs as like the most snobby people in the world. And is it it, Noah something? What is his name? Oh, oh man. I can't think on. of that. I know you're talking about, but it's not coming Trevor to me. No, no, not Trevor. Trevor Noah. No, no, that, Trevor no, Noah. That's, the, that's the South African one. Uh, oh, okay. Hold on. I'm going to Google this because it's going to drive me. <laughs> of course, well, now I'm gonna Now I'm going to watch that English. special because I'm going to want to hear what else he has to say. Come on. Oh, no. Come on. Oh, man. I'm just killing your podcast trying to look just. Oh, up. no, dude. No worries. <laughs> no worries at all. What was that? Um, uh, John Oliver. John, oh, he's great. Yeah. That guy. John. That guy is so witty. As I get was, old, my memory fails on certain things. What was that Mexican restaurant in San Diego that did um, a lot of vegetarian stuff? Pokies. Um, yeah, pokies. Yeah, I have pokies. Friends that work down there. And then um the guys from uh what's that goth uh cholo band? Um they're the owners, or one of them's the owner. Oh, okay. Uh 
starts. I'm not sure I ever. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's that's been around. Pokey's been around forever. Yeah, and they do good stuff. They do. I, I kind of miss going there. There was also just a kind of a scene around pokies all the time oh, that yeah. kind of made it extra fun. You'd always see yeah. some interesting people, hear yeah, some interesting like, news. My friend Chris Squire worked there. He big in the San Diego music scene forever. Yeah. There was always a bunch of like musicians working there. I felt like that gave it like, I don't know, oh, an extra reason for me to go. The food was always good, but cred. there was always Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was always a bit of street cred to it. And you know, back then it was like, oh, you eat vegetarian food? That's weird. You know, like yeah. it was, I mean, shit, was... I live in I live in Colorado. It's still weird to some of these people. Oh, I'm I'm sure it is. <laughs> so do you struggle to find stuff on menus that you can even eat? Because you're it's... you're you're full vegan, so you avoid oh, even I... the, the butters and creams. Yeah. Um it's getting a lot better. There's a few Good. spots out here that have gotten um that have expanded their choices and stuff. Um yeah, I mean we do you I find yourself in... I'm looking for those full vegan restaurants. There's a couple in town. Um, okay. We have a new one that's really good. It's like a fast casual little spot. Um, I'm not going to badmouth a local business. So I won't talk about the other one. Okay. No worries. <laughs> but what's the, what's the good one doing right? Like, what are they doing that you're digging on? Um, inexpensive, like kind of costs are in line with uh, like a normal fast casual restaurant. Um. And, and that's I mean, something I've heard from vegan friends of mine before is that like vegan tax, you know, or, yeah, or the plant, plant based tax where it's it like yeah, insane. It is insane where my lamb I, chops cost 14, but your cauliflower, whatever, costs 16 or 18. Like, what is I, that about? And and you know that the cost of ingredients is way lower for right for our uh, the plant based dish. Um, Yeah, that's kind of. The other location has a really high. Uh, vegan tax. Yeah. And, I mean, I can do I would, it all at home and I generally do cook at home now just because I can cook like Satan and anything I'd ever want at home. So it's, it's really cheap to be vegan. If you cook. Yeah. If you don't cook. Uh, yeah. You're going to go broke or you better right. have a really good job. <laughs> Definitely. And I, that's what I find myself doing more and more. The better I get at cooking is, is, using restaurants as sort of inspiration going and trying some concept oh, that yeah. they did and then taking it home and doing like okay my version of it and tailoring it to of, my taste kind of cook where a recipe was just kind of a suggestion yeah you know this is baking like baking is science and you kind of gotta yeah. stick to the science of it but anything else it, cooking should be feel it should be like you know maybe a little lime juice in here would help brighten it up or you know, maybe a different spice here would help. And I think so. once you le- reach that level of understanding, like, yeah, you just use the recipe sort of as a starting point and you go, mm-hmm. OK, I see what they're going for here. But, you know, and then you start putting yourself into it. Yeah. And I've been doing cocktailing my whole life pretty much. So, well, let's let's yeah. talk about that a little, because I, I feel like you have a bit of uh, both understanding of that field, but then also some kind of personal opinions on that stuff, like. You said you mentioned a true Mai Tai was your favorite drink. I kind of want to know what a true <laughs> I want to know what a true Mai Tai is. So the traditional Mai Tai was made in the 40s. It yeah. is rum, orange liqueur, lime juice, and orgeat, which is an almond syrup. Okay. Anything else is uh the Hawaiian Mai Tais are different. They have more fruit. But yeah, I've uh, really everybody in the industry right now is really opinionated on Mai Tais. It's pretty funny. Um, 
I fortunately well, I... don't bartend at a bar that has to deal with it because it's a whiskey bar right now. Yeah. Um, but I was looking to open a tiki bar until an investor fell out and uh, we were, I was going to do like seven different takes on the Mai Tai. Um, awesome. But really have the 1944 true Mai Tai as the feature and the center of it all. So the concept so when you dead. see, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, the when you see a Mai Tai on like, a menu, what do you, what do you assume that they're serving? Oh, I'll read the ingredients list. And if it says okay. anything besides rum, lime, uh, triple sec, orange liqueur, anything like that. And, um, or jat, it's going to be okay. A, a hard no for me. <laughs> and and you're finding that that 1944 one anywhere or is that something that you oh, would provide it's become a lot more common okay and around okay. the industry not so much in fort collins but there's only one really one bar that um really does that kind of cocktailing and they're more of a, a kind of pseudo speakeasy concept so they'll have a couple of drinks that. from that era on a on it because the tiki goes back i mean it's to the 30s like it's one of the first post prohibition um kind of bar concepts that was started in la by don the beachcomber and the history of it gets really interested interesting but it kind of boils down to because of prohibition you really couldn't get anything but good rum inexpensively because they never stopped making it in the caribbean so you can get, you know, great Jamaican rums, great, you know, Barbadian and Martinique rums. While like whiskey was, you know, you start to ramp up production, you're still three to five years away from anything halfway decent. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I was just talking to uh, my friend Sylvan on the last podcast actually about rum and and how much that spirit is varied and how the processes are so different. Oh. Some places are oh, pouring yeah. fresh cane, and other places are you know, using additives and yep, so I, I, uh, I feel like I have a lot to learn there as well. In, in my research for opening the Tiki bar, I have acquired 72 bottles of rum at my house. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I don't that's drink some, at home that's a lot. That's some fun so. research. Yep. Yep. So, so I, did I, you I land made... on any, any certain like uh region producer area style? Really... Like what is your, what's your jam? I'm a, you know, I'm a mezcal fan, so I'm going big and bold in my rums to the agricole rums, which are the, you know, fresh pressed. Yes, um, he mentioned and that. And have a lot of vegetative and a lot of really good flavors. And then Jamaica's just the land of funky rum. And they, uh, they'll create these flavors that, that through kind of a different fermentation processes than most producers will do. Things that would drive most distillers insane. Um, but they create these amazing like banana overtones and, uh, yeah, the overproofs on those too. They're like, they'll knock you out. How, how big does it go? How high a proof? Jamaicans will, the overproofs like will be 109 to 120. Okay. Nice. That's kind so, of my sweet spot on bourbons. I actually like the, the bigger proofs. I just like yeah, the, just how concentrated and powerful they are. Yeah, it definitely, it, it, it makes things a little bit more bold. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll even try it neat. And then does anyone put rum on just a, a rock and just sip it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sipping all the time. I'll usually, all of those 72 rums have been made into a daiquiri in my house. Oh, wow. Um, just that lime, sugar, and rum. 
really lets you understand how it'll work in a cocktail. Um, kind of so opens can, it up. It opens it up, but you, yeah. yeah, you just need to see how it plays, and you know, it's the most traditional way to actually pick out what's going to sing and what won't. You know. Okay. Right on. Sort of, uh, yeah, giving it some structure, like yep. you're tasting it in a context, I guess, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll I like usually that. take a little sip neat. I'll like pour a snifter, sure. do that, and then straight to a daiquiri with it. And then I can cool. see, from there, I can figure out how it would play in almost any other cocktail, because I see how it re- reacts to sweet and sour. I was explaining to somebody why I liked drinking my my high-proof bourbons on, on a rock, and it really is. It's that experience of like trying it neat first. Mm-hmm. And then as the ice melts, I get all these different flavors and it just keeps changing. The more, oh, and more yeah. it gets diluted, the more it changes. And so it's like every sip is completely different than the last sip. Yeah, for sure. And for it's, sure. It's Especially like a dynamic experience. They open up a lot and scotches will do that too for you. Yeah. Um, we, uh, my work has done some collaborations with Maker's Mark and they've had some that have come out that were like insanely different. Even if it just sat in a glass without an, a cube in it from like five minutes later, it's a completely different bourbon. And and you know what? That's something I'm learning, too, is the the way the bottles change, because I have several open now. And it's like, oh, I tried, yep. you know, I tried the neck or I, I opened it. That was a little hot. Didn't really go for it. I give it like two months with the bottle open and suddenly I have a completely different spirit. And I yeah, yeah, they'll oxidize I'm a fan. stuff and change the flavor. Yeah. Mellow a little bit. Yeah. I, I really dig on that. And and again, it's it makes it more of a dynamic experience. And I really appreciate that. It's not like a one-time deal, you know? Oh, yeah. As until we change, get, it changes. Until they get over-oxidized and they're undrinkable. So Yeah, I, I'm and I'm kind of wondering what the... Years. So so that's... Yeah. yeah, how many years do I get on a whiskey bottle being open? Do I get like a year, hey, 18 months or something? It really depends on whether they're using a natural cork, a synthetic cork, or oh. a twist top. And how that barrier is. Um, okay because if you're using like real cork it's Which still a, a little bit of you can get a little bit of oxygen penetrating once it's unwrapped okay um so those will go bad eventually i mean you probably wouldn't notice any major oxidation in under a year okay two years you might notice something but anything over that and it might become undrinkable so just drink faster is it, is it kind of those like uh Port or sherry notes, like the oxidized sort of uh flavors. those will pop up and then okay. um yeah, those will be the ones that pop up a little bit more. I always wonder that when I see something that's port finished or sherry cask finished, I'm like, did they did they have an oxygen problem and they just decided to to move it into that cask to kind of hide that? I don't know. No, it'll oh uh, especially sherries will, will impart a little bit more sweetness and the yeah. colors. The colors become some of those port and sherry finished whiskeys are beautiful, beautiful. colors. I agree. Yeah. I've seen some there. Yeah. I've seen some pink ones that I was like, how did they do that? That's so cool. Yeah. So you're a, a ramen fan. Uh-huh. And there's a place called, and I've never heard of it. R- I'm going to say it. Rama Mama. Is that right? Rama Mama is local in Fort Collins. Yeah. Um, Tell me about this it, place. They just have a lot of everything basically vegan, but you can add. Um, meat proteins to it but it's just it's really good so all their base broths are all their base soups are vegan or most of them are one tonkatsu one that's pork yeah the rest yeah pretty much um all vegetarian vegan nice broths to start and they do some good stuff i like that 
they're swinging the door open wide. And then if you want to step in and put, you know, meat products yeah. in it, then feel free. Yeah. Yeah. I, I if think you that's can develop smart. the flavors. You know, I mean, you're not going to get really good pork without having. It's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> I've come close with a few, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, having like multiple options there and probably for a down low, we don't say we're vegan spot in town the best in town for having that many options and no, I think that's no a cool way to do it. Yeah, no I, exactly. You know? I think that's an important part of it too, is, is not to discriminate because it does seem to me like discrimination when you do that. Yeah. It's, it's profiteering. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, it's knowing, I guess that people who've chosen that lifestyle probably have that little bit of extra money in their pocket. Maybe that's, or, that's or part of it. Willing to pay it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's definitely, I'm not as much as others, but it's definitely that there are a lot of people that are willing to pay that extra upcharge, you know, especially if you don't cook at home. Like I said, if you yeah. don't cook, it's, or if you buy even uh, prepared vegan foods from uh, supermarkets, the upcharges are insane. Have you seen that market in LA called Erewhon? Have you heard about that place? No, I haven't. Okay. So it's like, <laughs> it's like Whole Foods on steroids, I think is the concept. And so, sure, they've got lots of plant-based options, but boy, will you pay. Yeah. It's like $20 smoothies and and, and oh. $22 burritos. And yeah, it's well, out of control. LA. That fits yeah. LA pretty well. Well, and and people are shopping there to be seen, too. It's it's like, you know, hey, I can afford to, to eat at Erewhon. It's like, that okay, good LA for you. Very much. Yeah. 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 It's very much about uh, conspicuous consumption, I think. At that oh, point. yeah. Yeah. So what, what plant-based snacks do you enjoy? Snacks? Yeah, like on a regular basis. If you're feeling like you need something crunchy, salty, uh, savory, even sweet, like what are your what are your kind of go-to? Most chips are all like barbecue chips are vegan and stuff. I try to avoid yeah. them um, purely because I just don't need to be snacking. I'm 51 and overweight. <laughs> so you're you're not you don't have any snacks that you really keep around on the regular? Not really, no. Um, okay. Yeah. If, I make myself have to cook it. <laughs> I, I honestly think that's a that's a good barrier. I've been working on losing weight recently, and that was something I kind of had to realize. I had snacks next to my bed, like in my nightstand. Yeah, I had snacks, and I was yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm a little hungry. I'll have a little snack before bed. I just like, come on, man, cut that stuff out. Yeah, like, are you eating because you're hungry, or are you eating because what, what's the Japanese? There's a Japanese trade that says that. The oh yeah. Too like my, I'm eating because my mouth is sad. Yes. Yeah. Or your yeah, your mouth is lonely or something like You're that. Lonely, like yeah. Something yeah. Like that. I I yeah. like that. And so I'm trying to eliminate that one. <laughs> what I I guess my only snacking uh thing is I keep snacks in the car because it keeps me from eating things that I I really shouldn't. So if I keep some oh, like yeah. healthy snacks in the car, I keep peanuts in the car. I know not super healthy, but I keep yeah, peanuts in the car. Better than for that reason, like exactly. McDonald's or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Because if I you could know. just have a few peanuts, then I could make it home and cook myself something decent. Yeah. But so, so yeah, I only that's... commute by bicycle, so that's not nice. a problem. Wow. So is your your commute's pretty short then, or you got a bit of a ride? Uh, I have an e bike. It takes me roughly thirty minutes to get to work. That's a bit of a ride. It's about six miles, seven miles. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's not too bad. And you're doing that year round in Colorado weather. Oh. Is that what you're yeah. telling me? Yeah, I rode wow. home in the snow last night after uh, going to a hockey match with my son. Wow. Is it a fat tire bike? 
No, it was at least okay. not sticking. I'm going to get a fat tire for this next season. I had did okay. Uber on days it was really bad. And I, it wasn't that much, at least, because Fort Collins doesn't get as much snow as, as some other parts of Colorado, thankfully. Sure. But yeah, I have a heated jacket so I can handle the cold. Um, so Good move. Yeah. Just kind of doing what I can to not, you know, screw up the environment more. I rented for the first time a few weeks ago, I rented a, an electric vehicle and took it on a trip down to Vancouver, Washington. And I thought the infrastructure for that would be a little better than it was. I kind of struggled finding working charging stations or not overfilled, you know, with too many people there already. It really became uh, a, I mean, a bit of a struggle and a distraction. Across the board, our infrastructure in this country has not really been handled too well. So I, I would agree I'm, with that. I'm not so I guess much I was surprised. just a little disappointed. And then I was told by other people that, well, if you get a Tesla, then they have a better infrastructure. Well, I think he's supposedly opening up the Tesla chargers to non-Tesla vehicles from what I hear. Although I'm not a, I'm not a big, you know, Elon Musk guy. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. Not really a fan. Yeah. I think you could go opposite a fan with my definition. (laughs) So your e-bike, how long have you had that for? Uh, a little over three years. And does I've that got, charge like, up like completely overnight? You just plug it in oh, and yeah. get home kind of thing? Yeah, I'll uh, ride in with the charge because it's been a while and it's like I didn't always leave it in the best. When it gets cold, those batteries don't do well. Yeah. So it was there's a lot of times the battery was in the garage. I should have pulled it out. So it's not holding a charge as well as it did three years and like. 3,700 miles ago. Oh, sure, sure. So wow. I'll usually take That's the charger. That's cool that you put that many miles on it. I'll usually take the charger with me into work and just top it off there. Nice. Um, Yeah, it, it charges pretty quick. And that battery comes out of the bike? Yeah. To charge? Nice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, eventually I might just buy another battery and get my range back up and then also have a backup battery I can just throw in my bag, although they are heavy. So no. you mentioned a, a food memory of leaving campus and going and eating Roberto's with Stymie. Oh, I, I, would, yeah. I would love to hear some of those stories. And I, <laughs> I think, you know, I'm a Stymie fan or maybe you don't know. But no, uh, I do man. remember we had I, 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 okay. I scrolled through some old PNs we had when you talked. Yeah. To him. Oh, yeah. I remember talking to him about that. Yeah, yes. I was such a fan of his band and just I don't know. I, I there's something about him that I just really was drawn to, and I'm he not even really sure what it was. He was a sweetheart of a dude, man. He was. Okay. Um, we went to high school together and oh right on. Uh, you know, uh when lunch would happen, you can go off campus. So we'd drive out to Claremont Mesa Boulevard and hit the Roberto's out there. And like it was just good times. It's like a, we had a really good core group of friends in high school. Um, a lot of them are are musicians and still around. Like, were you guys in bands back then in high school as well? Um, yeah, he was in Sub Society. I was in shit that never really meant anything. And then um, later on, uh, he and I and Mike Peprocki formed what became Inch. Um, awesome! I love Inch. And, yeah, so <laughs> they're a much better band after I left. This will fall on dead ears. <laughs> is one of my favorite albums of all time. I, I kid is, you not. There is something it, in the lyrics to that album that just touches me. Oh, yeah. Like nothing else. Yeah, Stymie could write. Yeah, man. For sure. And 
there's something like to that. Like I, I feel like certain people are able to put even my feelings in better words than I can, and I think that's something that he did. He he was able to take feelings and really translate them into yeah, into but yet words. somehow like they ended up still kind of fucking with him. Yeah, I you I, know he he felt things really deeply, and that came across yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think he felt them too deeply at times and tried to maybe make them go away. Did did he have connection to the uh restaurant industry uh not Wasn't really i mean cooking? he and i worked he and i worked well he did and, and he moved to fort collins just before i yeah. did um but he and i worked at uh the panicking cafe in la jolla together okay um in the early 90s uh him chris chris prescott from no knife was there bobby <laughs> lee the comedian what uh, a friend of mine eric leverens who uh <laughs> did the editing for black swallow Wow. Um, it was a really creative group. And it was like, yeah, like one of the best times of, you know, my life, of were course. You, were you guys cooking or serving or all parts no, of the just restaurant? Just in the front, just doing the coffee, just slinging coffee. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, definitely, that's kind of, that was where Inch was born, was when we were working together. Um, me, him, and Mike Peprocki went out and we were on this weird quest for Jolt Cola. Awesome. And, and we decided we were only going to go north, though, to look for it. So we were like, Oceanside, I think, is where we finally found it. But along the way, we were buying all this Mexican candy. And Whoa, ended up like there was, a, there was a Denny's out on Miramar Road. And I had to work at 7 a.m. And it was like 4 a.m. And I'm like, basically almost in tears begging them to take me home <laughs> so i could at least get a couple hours of sleep before work um and then like the next day kind of uh we were originally gonna call ourselves sugar high and bob mole came out with sugar and then we were going through and looking for names and like we came up with the name tool funny enough we went to a show at iguanas and guess who was opening up for rollins wow Tool. So, because they hadn't recorded really anything, because the only way you could find out if bands existed was to go to the record store and flip through, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's no internet to like search if a name was used or not, and if they didn't yeah. have that record, then you just assume that band didn't exist. And then we came up with Seven Fingers Deep, which is a reference to a whiskey pour. Nice. Um, and that lasted a little while. Then the the drummer we were working with left, and Dave Hepler came in, and we decided to name ourselves Grinch. And we printed wow. up a bunch of stickers, and then we found out there was a band already named Grinch. So we just <laughs> cut the GR off all the stickers, which is why the I and inch is also always lowercase. <laughs> That's fantastic. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, most people I always, don't. <laughs> I always wondered, and I always thought that the lowercase I was a very intentional thing. It was, well, it was intentional. I read into uh, it, of course, an as accident. a fan. After, an, after so it was cool. an accident, it became intentional. Wow. Yeah. I'm 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 blown away by that information. <laughs> it's just like wow. Okay, I thought all right. Yeah, and it, yeah. what's what's interesting is it's so hard to find the music. Sometimes if I'm like looking for it online, I type an inch, and it's just so hard to like. Oh yeah, get it. So I have to look by album. I have to look by you know like .dot yep. c or or like whatever to actually find well, what I'm looking for. Shit, I'm a hit, a huge Descendants all fan. Try searching for an all out al uh, album. Yeah, there just you type go. all in your search bar. It does not yeah. work. <laughs> and I, I think bands know that now. And so they name themselves these, you know, names yeah. that are very, very searchable. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, 1985, nobody was thinking about that. <laughs> well, my my 90s. entry to to the San Diego music scene was through working at Music Trader, and so I got to know a lot of people oh, that nice. were yeah in bands. Um, and I managed several stores in in several different neighborhoods, so I kind of got to know the music scenes in different parts of San Diego. And it was it's such an education, and also such a great way to connect with really talented people. We had such a good scene back then. Oh, this it was, was like insane. 90. 96, 97 was when I started working for Music Trader. My son was born in like 94. So I fell out of it at that okay. point. Um, yeah. 93, maybe even. Shit, I'm old. Um, oh, no, 94, 95. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was kind of not so much in the scene except for attending shows and stuff occasionally. Very cool. Yeah, I just I I have such good memories of that time and Oh, it was it was one of the more important scenes on current music now. I mean, people cite Drive Like Jay Who all the time as an influence or pitchfork. When, or... Uh, I was at the Poway location, the the guys from uh, Blink 182 were selling their cassette in our store and they were so broke that they would just hang out out front and then come check in every few hours uh bump cigarettes off people. Yeah, come in and see if any other uh and then they'd go to rallies and get a burger yeah that's pretty funny yeah and so definitely it was the start of something pretty big that has affected music ever since and it's, it's neat oh yeah to have been there and been a part of that for sure and and sure. i feel like part of that scene taco shops were a, a very tight connection to that oh there you was know, an that's you... t-shirt that was uh just a roberto's receipt that we did there you go and it was like, I think it was like 50 bucks for the Roberto's food in like 1993 Love it. Love between it. four dudes. <laughs> it was like the place to to go find out what was going on for the night or to end the night or to meet up with, you know, a, another crew to head off and do something else. It always seemed like it was every night involved a taco shop. Oh, nothing. Nothing was more intense than hanging out in the post taco shop after 2 a.m. Yeah. It yep. was just you see everything there because I was in Hillcrest, which is the gay kind of gay area. But then you had the Casbah just down the hill, so you'd have a lot of punkers, and you'd have like, uh, you know, um, trans men and women. Gay, and it all lesbian, comes together at the taco shop. All just hanging. That's out. the crossroads. Yeah, and then you'd get like people come in because just east of there, you get into some pretty bad neighborhoods. So you get occasionally like gangbangers coming through. But it was like open at 2 a.m. and had good food. So it was like a, you know, big blame for moths. I love it. I love things that are like that, where it, it's celebrated by all people, all classes. Everybody's like, well, it's delicious and it's a good deal. Why wouldn't I? You know? Oh, yeah. You'd get you'd get occasionally like really nice cars pulling in to hit head up the post to late at night. Oh, yeah. You know? I like seeing that. Yeah. So what what does the future hold for Jeff and his food journey? You said you had a project that kind of fell through. Uh, yeah, it's not any, dead. Any, I was going to okay. do, uh, okay. like I said, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word tiki right now. Sure. Um, there's a lot of cultural appropriation problems with it. So I'm going to go with a rum bar. But I, and I, have... I almost think that would make it stand out if you took that approach too. You yeah. know, because every town has a tiki want... now. But I a rum bar? Be I've never like been to a rum immersive, bar. You know, I still want to make it so you don't feel like you're in Fort Collins when you walk in the door. I don't necessarily want to have other people's religious iconography in it, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the menu is just going to be one of those quietly vegan menus. Like, hey, yeah, we do a, a masubi, but it's like 
plant-based spam and and yeah you know but not really kind of put it as that's what our focus is just kind of quietly be that way and have good food that you know was gonna be vegan for sure but also like accessible to non-vegans and and good flavors you know I, I feel like that rings to the kind of the same thing you're doing on the spirit side is like focusing on the spirit itself instead of saying uh, tiki, which, you know, invokes sort of a more of an aesthetic and more of a environment than it does well, the actual like quality of the drinks. And if you're originally it was yeah. it was very focused in on quality drinks like Trader Vic and Don Beach kind of drove cocktailing in the 30s and 40s. It's, you know, um, kind of inspired a bunch of other people to do weird things. And then, you know, the sixties and seventies happened and, uh, it drifted away from that a little bit maybe. And, and yeah, it just, everything kind sort of, of became a copy down. of a copy. Yeah. Everything kind of broke down in the seventies. I mean, like you couldn't, you know, get a good cocktail probably to save your life at that point. Cause it was all pre-mixes and, you know, low quality liquor and trying to make money cause everybody's coked out. Um, but then in the nineties, interesting. Was a, I never thought of it from that perspective, but I think you're absolutely right. It's like, it, it was just a, you know, didn't really yeah. matter as much. Yeah. I've, that makes sense. You know, done four lines of cocaine. I don't care what I'm drinking. Give me a fucking whiskey sour. That's just whiskey and sour mix. Exactly. <laughs> with the, with the cheapest well whiskey you got, who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter at that point, but in the nineties, there's a big cocktail resurgence. Um, and Tiki was definitely a part of that, especially in Southern California. And up in the Bay Area. So you got to see like people bringing back like good quality cocktailing. Um, so true tiki, I think people understand that you're going to get high quality rums and high quality ingredients. But like all the kind of I'll call it beach bar stuff. Sure. Is it's definitely a little lower. Like, I mean, I like I said, I bartended in Mexico. I made margaritas and pina coladas blended out of the worst possible ingredients you could probably get <laughs> you know but if i make you a pina colada here you'll you'll understand what a pina colada can be you know you and, and that of course is making me question if i've ever had a good pina colada it's always Odds that thing of like if you haven't yeah I, i'm sure i haven't and and that it's always that thing of uh you know people say they don't like this or they don't like that it's like you probably haven't had it prepared correctly yeah I there's, mean, a, there's a decent be... chance you haven't a really one note cocktail. It just tends to be sweet. Yeah. Um, that has been my I, experience for sure. I'll always add lime juice to it. I'll use a little better rums and I'll throw in some bitters and then you'll get this complexity coming out of it. That it's a beautiful cocktail when done right. Um, and I think again, a lot of the seventies and a lot of the um, tourist, you know, uh, the grabbing of the tourist dollar in, in, and destinations have definitely made it like kind of dumbed down a bit it, to the to the point where I even didn't know that good versions existed. I didn't know anyone oh, cared yeah. about that cocktail. I just thought it was a garbage cocktail that like, you know, no oh. one you only drank that if you didn't really like good cocktails. Right. But I mean, I but like I would I love did, to experience the good version and, and understand it on a new level. I did. Uh, in Mexico, we made banana coladas a lot and that inspired like the current thing i'm doing with banana cloud is is really tasty and fun but so hopefully that opens up and they'll be on the menu for sure
man, I'll, I'll be there to get one. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> and even just the to try some of to do like a rum flight or something and kind of oh, get yeah, an no. education. Uh, I was going to do be... also like a daiquiri of the day featuring, you know, whatever rum I was excited about that day. And then flights for sure, like and regional flights. And it, it, yeah, the whole concept is developed. Just waiting now. Eventually, cool. hopefully, I'll, 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 I'll get it going. I'll keep following, man, because I'm excited about that. And I, I feel like you've got such great depth of experience that could speak to this concept. Like if I were an investor, which, man, I wish I was, um, <laughs> I, I would I would be I'd be ready to green light this concept because I kind of know you're the guy, you know, both on the food side and on the on the drink side. I feel like you, you could really captain a good ship there, uh, you know, to, to reference it, an earlier conversation. In my 51 years, I've I've definitely developed some opinions and stuff on things that. And and that's what I seek out is I want perspective. I want yeah. both, you know, someone to be versed, but then also to come with their own feelings and their own experience, their own personal input on it. Yep. And I really do seek producers who do that as much as possible. For sure. I mean, I do it all the time when I'm looking at, at spirits or whatever food the my yeah. favorite foods are always going to be restaurants where a family basically makes their food from home uh and sells it to the public you know yeah those are the best it's, spots it's a window always. into their world and that's yeah. the, how, and, how valuable is that and they i mean they really care you know it's it's not usually a a, a blind money grab kind of thing you know i mean they're they're definitely hoping to make money but they're not going to change what they do kind of in search of it usually yeah I, I i like that it's that willingness to like sacrifice a little bit uh to stay true to yourself and stay true to your your own philosophies because i feel like you know incrementally if you sell out you know okay well i'll compromise on the quality of that certain product and i'll compromise right. on how we make that and i'll compromise it eventually you're just serving one big compromise and yep how do you even feel okay about that i would struggle uh, with that yeah and also, uh, having worked in a few places that do scratch-based, uh, a lot yeah. of their scratch cooking and stuff. Yeah. Price-wise, outside of labor, it's definitely cheaper. Oh, yeah. Now, with labor, it gets to be possibly more expensive. But you can kind of help fix those problems by you know, maximizing your labor usage and stuff. Um, so making things from scratch actually does end up being cheaper if you know how to do it. Yeah. Like, for example, the uh, uh, there's a Mexican restaurant in Denver that everybody knows about that's been closed for a while. That yes. The creators of South Park. South Park purchased. are going to open back up. Isn't that later this month or next month? I think Soon. it's next month. But the chef okay. they hired, she's amazing. She has a restaurant called Working Class in okay. Denver. And I've actually um, been there. Yeah. And the food's there. amazing there. It was excellent. I think I had and oysters too. She wants too. to do kind of a similar menu to what they originally had, but do it all scratch made. And they're still going to do cafeteria style service, which they did there, because it's the wow. only way you can accommodate 500 guests at a time. Um, but it's all going to be this huge scratch made kitchen. I really would love to check that out and see how I'm how I know, I've got to wait for the lines to die down because I know it's going to be around the block for at least the first few months. But I, oh, I yeah. really do want to go like I'm going to yeah, plan a trip to go. It's going to be crazy. Um, 
I'm hoping I can find a way to get a soft opening invite or something, but Ooh, yeah, you should. It's going to be crazy. And I'm also like, I'm sure she'll have plant-based options for me. Oh yeah. She's just that kind of chef. Yeah. I I could see that definitely being an upgrade. And then just the way they're going to upgrade the interior has got to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a, uh, strangely enough, I lived in Elizabeth, Colorado, briefly when i was really young yeah so i went out there once when i was really young and it was probably fairly new at that point to be honest would have been the mid 70s <laughs> probably the right time to experience it though you caught it in its prime yeah and then i went again after i moved out here with an ex of mine and uh yeah it definitely was a different experience than i remembered yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's it's almost like a telephone game and like they didn't hear what the, you know, what the original people were saying. And now it's become something completely different. Yeah. I mean, Everyone again, told me, don't eat the food. They're like, it's fun. Go ahead and go. Don't eat the food, though. Just the sopapillas. The sopapillas right, are good. Sopapillas, sopapillas are good. You know, and like <laughs> enchiladas drenched in canned cheese and like, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely. There was a place I went to in Albuquerque and I, I never did end up going to Plaza Bonita. I, I never made it, but. There's a place I went to in Albuquerque that it was buffet style. And when you ran out of something, like you ran out of enchiladas or whatever, they had a little flag on your table that you would raise by like pulling the string on it and the flag would go up. And then uh-huh. they'd come by your table and bring you more. So it was very uh, eating from the trough was what it felt like. And it was just the cheapest, sloppiest oh, yeah. cheese I mean, sauce enchiladas, just like you described. I'm sure they were inspired. Compromise after compromise after compromise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where it gets you. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining me today, man. This has been so fun to talk to you and catch up. I feel like I, I've kind of surfaced known you for a while, but I've really never gotten to have a conversation with you like this. And I, I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, the internet's an amazing thing. You think you, you know, you, you're in contact with people, but you never really sit and talk. Exactly. It's a, it's a very surface thing, and it's nice to go a little deeper. And and I, I've really enjoyed our time and our talk. And uh, again, thanks, thanks for being my food friend. I appreciate oh, it. Hey, thanks for having me, man. You bet. Have a great day.